Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Join Gabriel and his food hero guests every Wednesday on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so excited to have Jumana Akkad of Taste of Beirut with me here on the show today. Born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon, Jumana moved to the U.S. in 1979 and is a former school teacher, pastry chef, caterer, and translator. She started her blog, Taste of Beirut, in 2009 to share a window into the eastern Mediterranean, where Lebanese food mixes with Turkish, Syrian, Persian, Iraqi, and Egyptian flavors. Jumana was a finalist in the 2012 Sever Blog Awards, has shared over 1,200 recipes on Taste of Beirut, and published a cookbook, Taste of Beirut. Today, she works both in the U.S. and in Lebanon as a food stylist, recipe developer, menu consultant, and cooking instructor. Jumana, it's such a pleasure having you here. Well, the pleasure is mine, Gabriel. I'm excited. Hey, me too. You have so much going on, so thank you for carving out some time for me. Oh, sure. Jumana, you were born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon. Can you share a little bit about what that was like and uh, the role that food played in your household? Well, you know, uh, when, you, when you are born and brought up in, in one place, you don't begin to realize how special it is until you move out of that environment into a completely different environment. And that, that's what happened with me when I moved to this, the U.S. It suddenly dawned on me how, you know, what, what the words fresh and local me meant. What the words, for example, my, my grandmother who lived with us and she was in charge of feeding us. She would buy her, her fruits and her veggies every single day by lowering a straw basket and checking out the, you know, the, the street vendors and then even, you know, bargaining with them to, you know, do her marketing for the day. And then she would cook every single day a fresh meal. And that's something that, you know, when you live in, in a country like the United States or even in Europe, it's something that you don't have that luxury of time. And I wanted all of a sudden being thrown into a new culture, you know, you feel like you want to hang on to your, to your roots and your heritage, but you don't know quite how to do it. So that's, that was kind of the impetus that got me started on the blog, right? wanting to blog about it. Now, did your curiosity around food, I mean, was a seed planted when you were in Beirut or was it truly when you moved abroad that your curiosity and interest around cooking uh, came about? Well, I've always had an interest in cooking. It just was not encouraged when I was growing up. It was not something one would, at that time, encourage people. It was more like, uh, you know, you need to go to college and learn something serious, uh, (laughs) like law or business. I had no interest in. But in the U.S., left to my own devices, you know, whatever comes naturally is what you end up doing. And to me... My interest in cooking was completely natural, and I did it on my own, learning, sometimes calling home, getting tips, you know, and it just gradually developed over the years. But I think the seed was there initially. Right, right. And you learned how to cook on your own. 
How was that process like? I mean, it must have been pretty intense when you were in the States and you were calling back and forth. And there, I mean, I'm sure that in 1979, there wasn't the internet where you could just look up recipes. Yes, it was more like phone and getting, uh, you know, letters like snail mail letters with recipes. And sometimes just trial and error, you know. At the time, I remember the supermarkets did not have, for example, the range of olive oil. I mean, if you, if I locked out and found an olive oil, I was so excited. (laughs) You know, you had to go to Italian supermarkets. It was not the choices that you have now in the U.S. It's it's astounding. There isn't one food that you cannot find in the U.S. You can find it all. Yeah. When you were sending your letters back and forth and asking for recipes from home, who would you uh, mail the most? Like, who would you contact the most to to get this information for cooking? Well, I mean, it was basically my mother. My grandmother had passed away and I remembered her gestures because she would allow me in the kitchen and I was given like the menial tasks. So with that in mind, I remembered how things were supposed to taste. And I remember her her techniques. So if you were to make something for your mother today, one dish, what would you make for her? Well, I mean, there were simple things like mostly vegetarian things like the hummus and the green beans and tomato stews. All of these dishes were simple everyday dishes, comfort food. It turned out they were also healthy, but at the time we didn't think, we didn't put health as a concern. It was more like what tastes like home and that's what tasted like home and never in my wildest dream would have would i have imagined that hummus would become a household dish in america yeah you know amazing i love hummus (laughs) yeah (laughs) well jumana how would you describe Lebanese cuisine to someone like myself who's not super familiar with it like we know about hummus but you know how would you describe Lebanese cuisine well, it's, it's a simple cuisine with ingredients that, and techniques that recur. For example, when you talk about Lebanese cuisine and dairy, you're talking about yogurt. And I'm not talking about the sweetened yogurt with the fruit at the bottom. I'm talking about the plain, kind of a little bit sour yogurt that is used to, uh, for a sauce if you're making a stew or a soup that is used as a side dish if you're making a pilaf with rice or with bulgur that would be the dairy of choice is yogurt there's a lot of legumes chickpeas being one of them beans lentils a heck of a lot of lentil dishes Uh, simple things like citrus lemons you always squeezing lemons either in a salad or on a soup or whatever so it's not a sophisticated cuisine and it's once you've learned a few techniques and now there are some dishes that require some you know more sophisticated technique but by and large it's a simple cuisine that anybody can learn and that anybody can make right. in in less than 30 minutes you know, as you described Lebanese food as sort of healthy, simple comfort foods, what would a typical Lebanese meal look like? Like what dish must be included? Okay, well, for example, you would take, say, um, any kind of veggie that would be in season, say artichoke. If you have an artichoke, then you'll make a stew with some artichoke. The stew would not have a whole lot of meat. It would have a few pieces of uh, uh, shank 
maybe with some bone to give more flavor. And then at the end of that stew, to give it this punch flavor, you always add a pesto, which is basically you sizzle in some olive oil, some cilantro and some garlic. You add that at the last minute for flavor. Yeah. Sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, you also mentioned that, you know, some, some very common ingredients used in Lebanese food are yogurts and also lemon. For lemon, you have tahini. Tahini is essential in a pantry because with tahini, tahini would be like the Lebanese or the Levantine, or Levin, say Levantine equivalent of butter for the French. Okay. Because with tahini, you make your hummus, you make your, your dressing for your salads, you make a lot of different veggies dressed with that tahini dressing. You boil them or steam them and you add that tahini dressing. You don't use butter, you use tahini. And tahini is paste that's made out of sesame seeds. So yes, uh, that's about it. Perfect. Jumana, your daughter recently got married. Are there some traditional wedding foods that have a deep meaning behind them? For weddings, well, you pull all the stops in Lebanon. <laughs> weddings have gotten crazier and crazier. I'm so glad my daughter and her husband decided to keep it simple yeah. and not go nuts because um, it really does get extravagant. Because the Lebanese love to party. <laughs> and we had like three parties already just for the, that one wedding. But anything that involves, for example, the stuffed grape leaves, the uh, rice pilaf with the fish, the, you know, any of those types of dishes would have to be included in a traditional wedding. Of course, all the range of desserts and just... Endless. Yeah. <laughs> Jumana, if I were to visit Beirut, is there a dish that locals love that visitors like myself would have no idea about? You've got the street food that has become very famous, like the shawarma. And people, locals will tell you, well, you know, where the best shawarma place is or the, the falafel place, which falafel has been adopted in Lebanon and it's been Lebanon, become a Lebanese style, but it's originally from Egypt, made with dried fava beans. In Lebanon, they add chickpeas to the falafel, so it's made slightly differently. So here we're talking about everyday uh, street food that people eat. Uh, you have little corner eateries that open at 6 a.m. where people will have a soup called fool and it's a fava bean soup and different dishes like that based on legumes and lots of fresh veggies like radishes, tomatoes, sheep peppers and things and it fills you up for the day for just a few pennies you just you're set. Now that is something that you would have outside of the home. Now you've got the home cooked meals which are more like stews and the kibbe, the kibbe, which is one of the main national dishes, and it does require some skill to make properly, which is a, basically a mixture of bulgur. Bulgur is the whole grain. It's based out of wheat, cracked wheat that's been parboiled, and combined with either a meat, a fish, or a veggie, like a pumpkin or a potato. So you could have a vegan kibbe, and you could have a meat kibbe, you could have a fish kibbe. So this, you're talking about, you know, dozens of varieties of different kibbeh. 
And this is primarily for breakfast, this kebde? No, the kebde would be the, for the main meal. But a Lebanese breakfast would include, for example, things such as legumes. You would have a, a chickpea dish with yogurt and pine nuts. And, you know, so that's sort of like a brunch. But people could have it when they go to work. Before they go to work, they just fill up on things like that. And it sets them up for the day. Or the, the, the flatbread with the za'atar, which is a spice mix. That's also, it sets you up for the day because it's, it's so filling. And then you, you don't get hungry till 6 p.m. <laughs> gotcha. So. gotcha. Jumana, one of the cool things that came from doing your blog was your cookbook. How did your cookbook come to be? Well, it's, it just happened. So many people were telling me, you know, you ought to have a cookbook because I was getting such a good response from the blog and getting to be a guest on radio shows and on television and so on. And I, I didn't have to struggle, really. I had a, a publisher who was interested, uh, HCI, famous for publishing the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And they, they uh, offered me the, that book deal and I worked on it. And I basically wanted to include the core recipes that would exemplify Lebanese cuisine without going just crazy. So I just focused on that. And each recipe had a, a photo because I'm also the food photographer for the, the blog and the cookbook. And that's, yeah. that's what yeah. took. And I moved back to Lebanon since 2011 because I wanted to immerse myself in the cooking scene here, cook with local cooks. I thought that it would be it would behoove me to have to have that experience under my belt instead of uh, you know sitting in Dallas writing about Lebanese cuisine out of memory. Right. And it was a great experience because I was able to spend half my time in the mountain and learn about country style cuisine which is completely different from Beirut-style cuisine, and cook with Lebanese cooks and learn from them some tips and techniques that I, I never would have had that exposure had I been still living in Texas. Yeah, for sure. Well, have you come across some good resources, whether they're online or books, besides your book, of course, and your, and your website, uh, that are a good representation of Lebanese food and Lebanese cuisine? Yes. I mean, one of the books that I loved uh, a few years back was one by Anissa Helou. She wrote a book on Lebanese cuisine, and I loved it because it was it was exactly that. It was a home-style Lebanese cuisine. Prior to her, there were uh, the Claudia Roden book on Middle Eastern cuisine was a major book for me because it opened up my mind to uh, Egyptian cuisine and all these Middle Eastern cuisines that are kind of different from one from the other. I mean, the way people cook in Morocco and the way they cook in Lebanon this is it's a world because right. it's, it boils down to what does the land produce that's why there's so many variations in Lebanon between if you live in the mountain you cook with sumac if you need something that tastes lemony because sumac is lemony and you can't grow citrus in the mountain whereas in the on the coastline you use lemons so it's you know it's it all depends on your geographic location that influences your cooking right well, Jumana, 
as we talked about earlier, you moved to the U.S. in 1979. And one thing that, you know, you kind of really missed, I guess, was uh, the olive oil at that time. There, w- there wasn't such a, a great variety or availability of uh, olive oil. Is it difficult even today? Are there some things that when you're in the States that you can't really find in terms of ingredients? Or is it pretty open now? No, in the States now, you can find, I would say, 90% of uh, your pantry can be recreated. The difference is, in the States, what you don't have access to is the, the fresh and local is a little more tricky. Because even if you go to a farmer's market, like in Lebanon, for example, your, your typical green grocer will have, will have uh, fresh grape leaves when it's there in season. That's something that's a little bit more of a challenge in the States, unless you find a Middle Eastern store and then they will have your fresh grape leaves or your fresh green almonds or some of the things that people are used to uh, finding. But by and large, if you're looking for tahini, chickpeas, uh, lentils, molasses, uh, pomegranate molasses, things like that, no problem. Yeah. You're in Beirut right now. When you're in Lebanon, is there a food that you miss from the States? I mean, you've been in the States for so long. Is there something that you miss when you're in Lebanon? Are you kidding? I love Mexican food. I'm from Texas. And I miss it. I mean, for some reason, it's just, I can't get a decent guacamole here. It just drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah, Mexican food is, is what I miss the most. Yeah. Great. Well, Jumana, here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. Can you talk about a dish that is special to you and maybe the story behind the dish? Well, there's a dish that I used to make for my kids growing up. And at first I thought, you know, I've got to use some kind of a trick to get them to eat it. And it was, it's called mjaddara, which is a very simple but very ancient dish. It's a pilaf of rice and lentils with a bunch of, you know, caramelized onion in, in the mix. And you eat it with a salad or sometimes plain yogurt. It's, it's just uh, very simple to make. But I would tell my kids, you know, this is chocolate pudding. <laughs> and they would just go for it. And they ended up liking it. And um, I think that was the first dish that my son made when he moved out. Was, he told me it was from Jaddara. And it's a dish that is even mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, as, you know, uh, in the story of one of the characters uh, in the book of Genesis giving up his right, his, in, his inheritance rights for a bowl of lentil. And so wow. the Lebanese decided, yeah, that's it. That's Amjad Dara, that he's, he's <laughs> giving up everything just to have it. Wow. And, and it's, it's funny because in, in Lebanon, as small as it is, I mean, it's a country the size of Rhode Island, I think, not even that big. In some regions, they make it with, red lentils and bulgur some regions make it with green lentils and rice you know there's variations and different names but it's basically a pilaf of a starch lentils and somebody was telling me uh, why starch is included is because it makes the lentil more digestible to the body so you find that in every dish in lebanon there's a health component that you're not even aware of so that's interesting. 
Well, if you were to make this lentil dish and you can invite three famous people over to share your lentil dish with, who would you invite over? You know, I love uh, Dan Fogelberg. He's late Dan, Dan Fogelberg. I love artists like that. And I would invite him, for example. I would love to invite an artist like uh, Magritte, you know, surrealistic artist, Dali, Salvador Dali. He's, he's <laughs> such a hoot to invite over. <laughs> we can compare his Spanish cuisine and our Lebanese cuisine. Oh, that might be a spirited conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jumana, I call the next part of the Dinner Special podcast the pressure cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? I'll go for it. Perfect. Okay, number one, which food shows or cooking shows uh, do you watch? Oh, gosh, that's an easy one. I don't watch any. Okay. <laughs> number two, <laughs> what are some food blogs or food websites that we have to know about? Well, I'll tell you, for a while, I used to subscribe to a French food site. It was called cook.com. And it's a, it's a paying site, but they have chefs, French chefs. And I learned a lot from it because I thought French chefs were very creative. And I, I just, it was fun, interesting and fun. I also read a lot of um, blogs and they're usually in French from North African bloggers because this is one cuisine I'm curious about and I don't know much about. Yeah. One, one is called the cookie I could probably send you the link, but she's an amazing baker and she does all these uh, Algerian specialties. I mean, uh, this is a very rich cuisine in terms of culture, history, uh, variations, um, the Moroccan, the Berber, all these different tribes. It's, it's very interesting to me. So I'm learning. I like to learn more than just, you know, read a blog because it's a trendy or something. Right. Cool. Number three, who do you follow on uh, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, or Snapchat that make you happy? Okay. Well, I, I like Instagram. To me, it's the best medium because it's quick and easy. And uh, yeah, it's an instant gratification. I mean, I follow a lot of world famous photographers, for example, and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Is there anyone in particular that you love? No, there's a lot of them. So I, <laughs> I I can't remember their names. Okay, we'll check them off on yeah. your Instagram profile. We'll come and check it out there. <laughs> yeah. Number four, what is the most unusual or treasured item you have in your kitchen? Well, I can tell you my treasured item because I would not be in any kitchen if it doesn't have it. It's my garlic mortar. It's a special wooden mortar specifically for garlic. Okay. I, I refuse to use that garlic press thing. It has to be mashed. And so you have to pound the garlic with some salt or something to make it pasty. So so it's made out of wood. It's not the stone type of mortar. It's wood. Yeah. Okay. Number five, name one ingredient you used to dislike that you now love. Oh, easy. Eggplant. <laughs> I used to hide the eggplants when I was in school, in elementary school, in the pocket of my apron. So I wouldn't have to eat it. <laughs> of course, uh, <laughs> I have changed uh, 180 degree as far as eggplant is concerned. 
Great. In my adult years, yeah. Now, number six, what are a few cookbooks that make your life better? See, I'm, a, I'm on a constant search for deepening my knowledge of Middle Eastern cuisine. So, for example, if I read a cookbook, I want it to not just have a bunch of recipes. That, to me, is not interesting. I want to know the why and the history behind it and all this. So, for example, there's some cookbooks on uh, Persian cuisine that I've, I'm really enjoying because they really go in-depth about uh, on on the history behind the dishes and interesting uh, works like that. Do you have one in mind that particularly stands out for you? Well, there's, uh, for example, I know her name is Margaret, but she wrote a book on Persian cuisine. There's also Najmi Batmanglij, who also um, published some beautiful books on Persian cuisine, beautiful photography. Those are cultures that I'm interested in, that I want to learn more about. And the cookbook does the job. It delivers not just recipes, but the whole, the whole holistic thing of the culture. Right, right. And that's the amazing part about food as well. Food can really expand and teach us a lot about different cultures. Right. Now, the final question, number seven, what song or album or type of music just makes you want to cook? Well, not classical. Classical no. make me want to sleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anything from, let's say, the late 70s onward is good. I mean, I know somebody just about, I told them I loved Lincoln Park because my son introduced me to Lincoln Park. And yes, yeah. I, I could, I'd go for Lincoln Park. I'd go for something like from the 80s, like uh, Fleetwood Mac. You know, I, I like this kind of stuff. Perfect. Well, congratulations, Jumana. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. <laughs> Jumana, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. You're on social media. What's the best way for us to keep up with everything that you're doing? Well, I mean, I'm pretty active on Instagram these days. So you just go on Taste of Beirut. And I think that's enough. Yeah, and of course, the, the blog and the website, tasteofbeirut.com. Right. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Jumana, for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Gabriel. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I hope you had a good time. I did. Thank you for listening. Head on over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking.